All right, so for our time together here, we want to look into a theme that we're going to talk about for today, and that is this theme of integrity. Okay, so 1 Timothy 4 is where we're going to be. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there, uh, Paul is going to speak to his young friend, um, the one he's mentoring, helping develop in his Christ-likeness. And uh, we'll talk with Paul and Timothy here in just a minute. But before we get into this idea of building with integrity, I want you to help me out. So a couple things here initially. One is, if you were going to define integrity, how would you define it? Like what is it, what goes in your head? Integrity and what? Sir? Honesty. Okay? When you think of integrity, what do you think of? Okay, how you act when no one's watching. Good. Anybody else? Integrity? Yes. Okay. So integrity would be someone with high standards, real high standards. Any? Doing what's right regardless of peer pressure. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well-respected, okay? So if you say of someone they have integrity, what you're saying of them, you really respect that person. You could commend them as someone respectable. Yep, good. Anybody else? Anybody have integrity? <laughs> I would say you do, all right? And we're working to build that further today. But uh, from what I see and from just how I even, you know, here I talked with a guy this past week, Mr. Cheatham, who spoke here a few weeks ago, and he was just bragging on, on you guys and just how he felt when he was here. He said, it just felt like I was at home, felt very welcome, and he just appreciated the conversations he was able to have with people afterwards. And so he's praying for us and things of that nature. But that, there's a reflection, right? Um, you guys left an impression on him, and he shares that with other people. Uh, interesting story, just a side note, and he told me this as well. Back in 2009, Scott, is, uh, he's originally from this area. He was in town. One of his friends got saved, and his friend said, Scott, you can't leave until you baptize me. And so Scott at this time was planning a church in Denver, Colorado. He had three days, and that's it. So he's trying to find a baptistry in three days, and the only person he knew here was Steve Gray, and this is when Steve and them were in like the VFW, and they didn't have a baptistry. And so Steve gave Scott my number, said, give Corey a call. I'm sure they could work something out with you. So the short end of it is I ended up being out of town. I filled up the baptistry, but I had to go out of town. And it may have been Mr. Steve or Mr. Herschel. I can't remember. Somebody let him in and was here for this little baptism service on like a Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so this guy gets baptized, and some of his family came that were unbelievers. So fast forward to last Sunday. Uh, Scott is, uh, he teaches, well, he's all sorts of things, but he teaches out at Maryville Christian School. He's a Bible teacher, computer teacher. He teaches like um, computer classes for, is it Randall College now in Oklahoma? I think that's what it's called. He teaches classes for a Grand Rapids College. He writes college curriculum and teaches it and that kind of stuff. He also creates glasses at Lens Crafters out in Fairview Heights. So he had to work last Sunday 
like at noontime. So his daughter said, hey, Dad, let's go to a church out that way. And then you can just go right to work. So they go to this church, walk in, and this woman uh, steps up to sing. And they're sitting on the second pew, he said. And she said, Scott, it's so good to see you. And you know that horrifying feeling when you know somebody knows you and you don't know them? Yeah, so he's like, we were coming in here random and this person knows me. And so he's trying to place her. And so while she's singing, and uh, you know, he just kind of nods his head. Oh, it's so good to see you. And how are you doing? All that kind of stuff too. And he doesn't have a clue who she is. So he looks over from where she came and sees her husband. And it clicks. Like he was at the baptism service. And the woman was the sister to the guy that got baptized. And they came here to witness, living together, not married, not saved, and talked about how the influence of her brother had led her to pursue Christ. And now she's a Christian, and she's actively involved in a Baptist church in Fairview Heights. And so he was just sharing. He said, your church should be encouraged. Like, you guys had a part to play in that. You know, you could have just said no. We can't use our baptistry. and Maybe I couldn't have baptized that guy. Maybe they wouldn't have had that moment. Um, so it's just kind of neat to see how God has His way of... It was just dots connecting and we don't know anything about it. You know, somebody that you talk to while somebody else is eavesdropping and they're encouraged by the words that you're saying and you have no idea. And you've probably been that person before. I've seen that here. Seeing you guys interact with one another and hug necks or shoulder to cry on or a pat on the back and you have no idea you're being watched but I'm being encouraged as people interact right so just the ripple effect of how you and I live out our faith maybe one day will God will sit us down and just show us you know all the ways that our life was touched by others and touched others but I thought that was pretty good uh, Scott just sharing that but just the idea of wanting to be people who live with integrity and leave, leave an impression on others and uh, that meant a lot to me some of those things that he shared there uh, just concerning our church family. Uh, so I want to try to illustrate integrity here a little bit and see if you can help me out here as well. Does anybody know where the longest bridge over water is located in the world? Longest bridge over water in the world. I didn't know either, so I had looked this up. Chesapeake Bay? No, that's, that's one of the longest. Yes, sir, there's one a little longer. Mm -hmm. No, There is one in China, so it, that's like two miles longer than this one, but it covers water and land. So it's like 17 miles over water, but it's, you know, what is it, three, six, nine miles over land also. So this one, I guess, is entirely over water. It's in New Orleans. Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. And I've heard, I guess I've heard Pontchartrain just from when Katrina came through. You know, you heard that Hurricane Katrina. You heard that a lot. I've never been down in that area. Anybody know how long it is? Wow. Yeah. Seems like. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. It's like 23.98. Yeah, so that's really impressive. So the longest bridge over water is found right there. They say for eight miles of that bridge, there's an eight-mile span where you can't see anything but water. So I'm a little nervous about that, right? You might as well be in the middle of the ocean as far as I'm concerned. If I can't see land, I'm going to get a little bit nervous. Well, in light of our hurricane season here that we've had, you know, there's one right now that's touching 
uh, right up in the Gulf, right over Stephanie's family, that kind of area this morning. And uh, lots of, they're fine, lots of devastation in other places through lots of hurricanes this season so far. You know, what if a hurricane had come through like Hurricane Katrina did and had caused some damage to the bridge, but it was still passable, they just couldn't tell you that it was solid. Would you drive across it? You know, if they said it, it's lacking in integrity, and officials wouldn't let us do this anyway, but if they would, would you risk it getting, you know, 18 miles out for a bridge to collapse? I see a lot of heads going this way. Yeah, they say there, I guess there's another route, but taking the bridge is 50 minutes shorter than going the other way around. Yeah, I'd probably go around too. I don't, there's part of me that want to do it, but I'm kind of like the kid, you know, in class who always raises his hand when, uh, you know, if I said to a student, and I'm sorry for this, but if I wanted to, you know, take off my sock and chew on my sock for a minute, you know, just trying to get a child to be quiet. Most of them would go, no, but there's always one or two kids who are like, okay, take it off and I'll do it. So I'm sure there's some people who would just cross it without any issue. But I would not trust the bridge if the officials are telling me that it's lacking in its integrity, right? Where there's a breach of integrity, there's also a breach of trust. And so we're not as willing to pursue or trust or align ourselves with a bridge or a person where there's been a loss of integrity. What about that same... Hurricane came through and the officials had observed the bridge, examined it, and it's totally fine. And they said, oh, it's passable and feel free to drive across it. Would you have any hesitation about crossing? Other than what you previously had? No, we'd probably cross at that point, right? Because people are telling us that now this bridge has its integrity and so it's trustworthy. It's something that we can, we can move across. Um, I think I'd probably be willing to take that that direction. So sometimes when things are breached, we don't trust them. Case in point, I hope none of you were on Pontoon Road yesterday at about 1.15. I'm going to tell a little story on myself here, okay? So I'm outside mowing. I just started mowing. I'm about three minutes in, and I am right on the edge of Pontoon Road. And I, you know how sometimes I've got to push more. So sometimes you step back to line up your mower, then you push forward. Well, I guess when I stepped back, the handle on my mower broke right down where the, the motor and all is, and I didn't realize it. And so when I'm stepping back, this side came out, and when I went to step forward, I guess I was putting too much weight on my mower, and the handle went straight to the ground. And I went to push off with my foot and just did a donkey kick, and my face went, my whole body went straight to the ground. And so I'm laying there right on Pontoon Road just looking around like, who saw that? Like, this is so embarrassing. So I've only been mowing for 30 minutes, or three minutes rather, rain's coming, and so now I'm, I'm scared of my mower, right? Because it lacks some integrity. So I spent the rest of the time, it took me a lot longer to mow, I mowed in the rain because I didn't trust it, right? So now I'm going to entrust it to someone who wants to whatever, compact it or take the motor from it or whatever you want to do to it. Um, so where there's a breach of integrity, we don't want it or we don't trust it or we feel like it's not worthy of our trust. Where there is integrity, however, we will trust whatever it is that we're trying to put our faith in. And so Paul's going to help us understand this as we get to his connection to Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's writing to encourage him about his leadership. All right, so 
Much of this writing is from a, an, an older church planner to a younger church planner pastor. And he's given this guy some advice about how you need to lead, what it looks like to be the leader of this church and how you're to take what's true and entrust it to people and you're to guard it and you're to invest in them and in turn they're to do the same thing with other people. And, and so he's writing to help Timothy understand his role. But within this, he's also helping us understand what it looks like to be a person of integrity. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to read all of chapter 4 here. It's 16 verses. And here's what it says. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving, and this by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the Word of God and by prayer. So if you point these things out, Timothy, to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. So have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather... Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So go ahead and watch what you eat and exercise, but make sure you're training yourself for things eternally. That's of greater value. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, that is why we labor, and that's why we strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. So command and teach these things. And don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. But be diligent in these matters. And give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so a few things that we're going to highlight as it relates to integrity from uh, these verses, this way of thinking or this way of counseling from Paul to his young uh, trainee there, Timothy. All right, so you can track with your bulletin if you'd like to. Here are a few things we'll highlight as it relates to integrity and how it can be built. All right, so number one here, integrity is built as we personally meditate on God and His Word. And so integrity is going to be one of these things that happens initially. It starts in private, right? It starts in private. It's something that happens personally within me and within you. So in these quiet moments of meditation, this is where God begins to chip away at these things in our life that are not God-honoring. So that way of thinking that may be you and I think is profitable temporarily, God is saying ultimately that's not good for my kingdom or for you, and so I want to change the way you think. And so He's going to start chipping away at that. Or the way that you and I feel like we can use what's in our hands. It's my money, I'll give you 10%, then I'm doing whatever I want with the other 90 because I've earned it, therefore it's mine. Right? And God's going to chip away at that way of thinking and say, no, the other 90 is mine as well. Right? So He's working to challenge and change and develop our character, build integrity 
in these quiet moments where we personally meditate on Him and His Word. And so my motives are exposed. My sin can be called out and dealt with. And God's going to transform me. So meditation is God's training ground for forming us into the likeness of Christ. Okay? That starts with meditation. So it's not church. It's not listen to the radio. It's not what you or I think. It's when you and I get quiet still, alone with God, where God can begin to develop and build integrity. Right? David wrote Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. All right? That is, get quiet, get away, remove, meditate, focus, be still and know that I am God. So here's where we see this in 1 Timothy 4. Paul writes and says, I have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train who? Train yourself. Right? So initially here, the emphasis is on, on Timothy. Now Timothy, you're going to train others as well, but if you're ever going to be a leader among men, you've got to be a follower of God. And don't miss that. To be a good leader of people, somebody worth following, means you and I must be people who are following God. And if I'm not following God, there's no reason for you to follow me whatsoever. Okay? It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter how much money I make, how successful my business is, how well my family is raised. If I'm not following God, don't follow me. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And so here the focus in initially is on you and I being trained personally. Let's think of it this way for a minute. Hope this doesn't hurt your feelings. We're going to talk about the Cardinals. The Cardinals are done playing, right? That other team is playing, and I think they may have won one or two. I don't know. I'm not following it that closely. But what, what was that? Oh, they lost. As, okay. <laughs> All right. So typically, do we watch a team train? I mean, I understand there's spring training, but for the most part, we don't sit at the table with them while they're eating their breakfast and observe and make sure that they're eating things that give them good fuel and energy. We're not at that table. Do we sit by them and watch how they sleep at night? We make sure that their sleep patterns are in order, and like we, we oversee that or that we have some care in that. No, we don't track sleep patterns. Do we monitor their health? I mean, we might if they're on uh, the DL list. Is it DL? Yeah, if they're on that, we might monitor that way, but we're not in the room with the doctor, you know, when they're being checked out and getting physicals and all that. We don't have any care for that sort of thing. And over at uh, Bush Stadium, they don't pack it out for practice days. And there may be some people that observe, but most people come to watch what? They come to watch the game. And so what we're looking at is the product of the personal training. Right? So we don't care what you're eating. We don't care what your doctor says. We don't care how well you're sleeping. We don't care how often you're running or lifting weights or strengthening yourself. All we're looking at is the end result, those nine innings when you play the game. So that's the public view. That's the demonstration. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But anything that's worth watching publicly is because it's been built where? It's been built privately. You know, every four years, or every two years, we'll watch the Olympics. And you watch people in their different events, and you watch them for those 10 or 14 days, and they're great, and then you forget all about them. But they don't forget what they're doing. For the next two years or four years, they're training like crazy. 
It's under the radar. Nobody's paying any attention to them other than when the next Olympic rolls around and either they're there and we're excited or they're not there and we wonder what happened. See, progress is seen publicly where you and I are built privately. And it's the same way with integrity. Our integrity will show publicly as it's being built privately. And if it's not being built privately, the sad reality is it's going to show itself as well publicly. So if anything's going to be produced in us that's worth following, then we've got to be making sure that we're training ourselves spiritually. So if we're going to display integrity, we've got to take time alone with God. And here we're talking about His Word. Let's look at the Word here. 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? So when we get alone with God and His Word and His Spirit, there's power there to transform and build integrity in us. So when I read the Word of God, I find everything that I need to be equipped for every good work. So it just begs us then to be diligent to meditate. Now in our text here in 1 Timothy 4, the NIV says be diligent in these matters. Some other translations tell us to meditate on these things. Verse 14 says do not neglect. Verse 15 says be diligent or meditate. Right? These are things that we are to be focused on. And I think this is extremely important because we live in a culture that is extremely performance-based. Right? We're driven by results. We're driven by how well we perform. We see this in everything. Uh, it, this bothers me a little bit when I think about coaches, collegiate level, who are investing their lives in young men and women, and they're impacting these people in ways that nobody sees. A young man that doesn't have a father figure in his life, this coach is serving as that, and he's loving this man and making sure he's in class. He's helping develop his character. He's helping develop his skill. But because he can't put up a certain number of wins, he's going to be fired even though he's having a really positive impact on people. Now these coaches go into this stuff knowing if they don't produce, what happens? They're going to get fired and they know that. All right, That's a performance-driven based culture. I just think we're missing the boat there in some ways. I think you could be 0-12 on a football field, but you could really be scoring big and the lives of the student-athletes that you're investing in. To me, that's more important. right? Just my two cents, but I believe that lines up with the Word of God as well. God's main goal is not about what you and I are doing. Don't miss that. God's main goal is not about what He can get out of us. What are we going to do? That is performance-based driven culture. I think we need to let ourselves off the hook a little bit by saying it this way. God doesn't need us. You believe that? God does not need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to give money. And if I don't, He's going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. They didn't give, so I can't accomplish my plan. God doesn't need us to share our faith. Right? God doesn't need me to teach or to preach he doesn't need me and He doesn't need you. However, it is His plan. And this should really humble us. Just think about it. If God can speak and nothing becomes something, what makes me think that if I'm not around, it's not going to get done? He was getting it done with nothing. Right? 
Now, it may not be a, a much bigger step above nothing, but sometimes I want to claim that I'm necessary. And God's saying, no, 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 you're not necessary, but you're, you're wanted. You're desired. You're part of my plan. Okay? But we're not performance-based driven where it becomes about us. So sometimes we need to let ourselves off the hook, reminding ourselves that it's not about us, it's about Him. If God can draw on a wall, nobody but God, I mean, what would you do right now if all of a sudden up on the wall there's just an inscription that starts appearing? Eh, just typical Sunday? No. You'd probably be thinking, like, okay, like, what's he up to? How's, how's Corey doing that? If I had no, if I'm turning and looking at the same thing you are, I'm thinking he's got some ability that goes beyond me. Right? He can write on a wall. He doesn't need anybody's hand. Right? I've seen some things burn. So this time of year, you sit around a fire. Wasn't it God that spoke out of a burning bush? Did he need somebody to go speak to Moses? No, I've got it covered. I'm going to speak out of this bush. What about a talking donkey? If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and lived a sinless life, was died and resurrected and ascended and is coming back, you believe that because the Scripture teaches you so. The same Scripture says there was a literal donkey that talked. And people say, you're nuts to believe that. No, I'm saying my God doesn't need me. If He can talk through a donkey, He can talk through my neighbor's dog. He can do it however He wants to. Okay? His plan is, however, to use you and I. So rather than feeling like I've got to produce this, I need to trust in the God who's going to get it done as someone who's asked me to be a part of the plan. And that's humbling. But it's a good place to be as well. Because it's not about what I can, what I can get done. See, in a performance-based driven culture, Everybody's focused on the results. Now, I have a friend who was once a pastor who's no longer a pastor because the church told him you need to produce and if there's not this many people coming to church in X amount of years, you're fired. He knew that going in and he got fired. And he said, I'm done with this. Right? If they're expecting me to change people's hearts when I can't even change my own, I don't want anything to do with this. That's a performance-based driven culture and lots of times it bleeds over into areas that it just doesn't have any place, any place to be. And so I just want to remind you again, God's not most concerned with about what you're doing, what I'm doing. He's most concerned about who you're becoming. Right? God's after the heart. Doesn't the Scripture teach us man looks at the outward appearance? First or second Samuel, somewhere there. But God looks at the heart. God's concern is the heart. When it comes to money, other than talking about God, the Bible talks more about money than anything else. Why? Because He knows for us, money is going to be a hard issue. And He doesn't talk to us as much about how to use it and where to invest it. Those things are in there. Most of the time, He talks to us about how our heart is connected to our treasure. And so when He looks at what's in our hands and when He's evaluating us with what we're doing with what's in our hands, it's not about did you give a thousand or fifty thousand or five, five bucks. It's what's your heart, what's your motivation in giving. He's more concerned about who you and I are, who we're becoming, rather than 
what we were doing. Think about the Pharisees. Wasn't it those group of people that Jesus looked at and said, you look good on the outside, but inside you are what? You're dead. You're, you're a dead man's bones. Whitewashed tomb on the outside. Beautiful. Inside you are dead. Right? So this is why Jesus told His disciples, listen to what they're saying, but don't imitate how they're living. Right? He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart. He's not so focused on the deeds. You remember the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2? You'll find there, Jesus is talking to this church and He's outlining all the things that they've done well. They've stood against deceitful teaching liars that we read about this morning. They've opposed things that are false. They've helped those who are poor. They've been generous with what they had. But He says, this is what I have against you. And it's a heart issue. You've left your first love. So even though there was commendation for all the good they had done, what He was after was their heart. Money, the heart. All right? Outward appearance, not so much. I'm interested in your heart. What you do, not so much. I'm interested in your heart. What's inside of you. Even the Word of God. The Word of God tells us, we read it here this morning, that it's good for every work. Like everything we need to do in this life, the Word of God bears weight and counsel and wisdom on that. But it also tells us that this sword of the Spirit is sharper than a double-edged sword not to evaluate what, what we do, but why we do it. It pierces down into the intentions of our heart. Judges the motivations of our heart. And so God is after the heart. He's more concerned about who you and I are becoming than He is about what we are doing. So to get this right, we've got to spend time personally, quietly, meditating on what's true, praying, asking God to change us, challenge us, form us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. Meditate. Now can I meditate for you? I can't do it. I can share with you what God's teaching me in my quiet times, but I can't, I can't take time alone with God for you. So church, this is extremely important. It's not just a Christian thing to do. We're talking about your integrity. We're talking about your personal development as a follower of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the old you going away and the new you coming forward. And we have a role to play in that. And our role is to get still before the Lord and meditate on His Word. It's the only way it happens. Integrity initially is built, primarily is built, as you and I personally meditate on God and His Word. So don't neglect is what Paul says. Verse 14. Verse 15 instead, let's meditate. Alright, let's go to number two here quickly. Uh, our integrity is going to be built as we progress in both Christian belief and behavior. And I want to notice here this word progress. For those who are saved, God looks at you and I as perfect. Right? So we don't see each other that way. You know, spouses, you don't see your spouse that way. Children, you don't see your parents that way. Parents, you don't see your children that way. We don't see one another that way. But God sees those who are in Christ perfect. But the call here is not to be perfect. What we're looking at here in this call is to progress. Make the next step. Make the next step. Progress in your faith. You and I are to be becomers or becoming. 
So let's look back at this here. Verse 15 and 16. Be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your what? So that everyone may see your progress. Not so that they see you perfect, but so everyone might see our progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Now, two things here that are highlighted by Paul that we are to be progressing in. Your life and your doctrine. Your belief and your behavior. Your ethic and your morals. And both of these are necessary if they're going to match up and create integrity that is a reality for you and I. We've got to have the proper ethic matched with the proper, uh, the proper <laughs> morality. So, if the Bible says this is how we are to live, then what's, the, what's our response to that? You just got to live that way, right? Well, I don't feel like it. God never asked us to feel a certain way. He's asked us to do certain things all right, after we are becoming certain people because He knows the natural progression. If we get ourselves right who we're becoming, what naturally follows then is those who are right inwardly will do right outwardly. So there's got to be this matching of belief and behavior. And I think sometimes we get a little off track. Sometimes I get a little off track here. So there, there can be belief without behavior. What happens when you get belief without behavior? Now, if we add 1 plus 1, you get what? Okay, so if you add belief minus behavior, what do you get? You get hypocrisy. Belief minus behavior is hypocrisy. And this is one of the things that Jesus confronted the Pharisees about. He wasn't upset with them because they didn't have right beliefs. Part of His woe to them was because they didn't live out what they knew to be true. Right? Now, they had issue with Him being the Son of God and they didn't trust in Him as the Messiah, but they had much of the Old Testament there to guide their way. And if anyone should have been living out, behaving in accordance with their belief, it would have been the Pharisees. So here again, this is why Jesus said to His disciples, listen to what they're saying. Their belief in some ways is right, but don't model their behavior. Because they are what? They're hypocrites. When you have right belief without behavior, you get hypocrisy. But there's also behavior without belief. What do you get when you take behavior and you subtract belief? In one way, you get this word called legalism. Legalism, by definition, depends on moral law and actions rather than on faith in God. And so this is where people often take hard stands on issues that they can't support biblically. This is what it means to be a Christian. Okay, open your Bible and show me. Well, I can't do that. Right? Jesus talked to, again, this religious group of people and He said, you are in error because you don't know the Scriptures. You're fervent. You're passionate. You're trying to hold people to a standard. The problem is it's not supported biblically. So one of the ways we could define behavior minus belief would be legalism. So you have one on one hand belief Without behavior, you get hypocrisy, which is sin. On the other hand, you have behavior without belief. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. You get legalism, which is also, also sin. Romans 14.23 tells us whatever is not of faith is sin. So we need these two to mesh. We need these two to blend. There needs to be behavior and belief. It's ethic and morality. Your ethic is what I believe. Your morality is living out what you believe. 
And when you add together a right ethic with the right morality, that equals what? Integrity. And that's what we're after here this morning. Being men and women, people of integrity. And so that's why Paul tells him here, look at this, verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine how? Closely. Pay attention. Right? Verse 16 goes on to say, because if these things are right, you're living in the way of salvation and you're living a life that others as well will come to find Christ. They can be saved. You're hearers. So watch it closely. Watch your belief. Let's make sure that what we are standing on is the Word of God and not Corey's opinion or interpretation. Let's make sure that our behavior is fueled by our belief. I'm doing this because this is who God is and this is what He expects or commands of me. To be people of integrity requires us to have both behavior and belief. One other thing before we progress is this. Integrity takes a lot of time to build. Right? And someone who is just a brand new believer, we probably wouldn't set them in a position of leadership and say, we're going to follow you. Right? Jesus invested in His disciples for years before they became the leaders of churches. The Spirit of God invested in Paul for years before he became missionary Paul that we know about and read about in Scripture. And so it takes years to develop and to build integrity. That bridge that's 24 miles long, 23.98 miles long in New Orleans, took eight years to build. It took eight years to get that to a position of integrity where officials could say this is safe to cross. It's trustworthy. And for you and I, it's going to take time to build integrity. Right? So don't get frustrated when you're with yourself when you just feel like, I'm not becoming something. You are. Maybe you're not where you want to be yet, but you're in the process of getting there. So where we sin, confess it. And continue to hold on to the Lord in quiet times of meditation. Continue to live out what it is that God's prodding your heart here, letting your belief match your behavior. And what we're looking for here is just progress. Right? Progress. So that people might see your progress. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. See, I want to be able to look at your life a month from now, a year from now, and you and I talk where you would say, I used to would re- respond this way. Or I used to think this way but I don't anymore because I'm being changed. Right? You never reach an age where you just say, I'm done changing. It's to progress. To progress, progress. Everyone needs to see our progress. So progress in both Christian belief and behavior, ethic and morality to develop integrity. And then third and last here this morning, integrity is built as we persevere through challenges to our integrity. It's going to be a, a requirement that you and I persevere. And so Paul writes to Tim and he tells him, there's going to be things that you face. There's going to be opposition. Expect it. And by the way, I need you in my ear with that reminder. I need you reminding me that, Corey, following Christ, it's going to be hard. There is much that is required of you. And this is the time to work. When you get to heaven, there will be a time to rest. But now, He's given you a body that functions He's given you a mind that works. He's invested truth in you. 
And you need to be giving this out as much as you possibly can. Remind me that it's work, that it's hard. Remind me that there's going to be obstacles and opposition. Remind me as well that these things seek to challenge your integrity. Now work to be the same for you. Timothy, there's going to be false teachings and you've got to oppose it. All these old wives' tales, these myths, these interpretations and opinions that don't amount to anything, they're removing people from the faith. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 said there's going to be some people who fade. There's going to be some people who fall away because they buy the lie. Right? I think verse 2 or 3 said those hypocritical liars are spreading false or deceitful teachings. And people are going to buy into it. Timothy, you've got to stand up against that. You've got to speak out against that. We've got to do the same in our day and time. There's going to be people who try to force their interpretation on you or force you to be silent with yours. You've got to stand. And you've got to be an example of the believer. I know you're young, Timothy, but you've got to be an example of the believer in life and love and speech and faith and purity. You've got to be an example. So make sure that you're teaching what is true. Make sure that you persevere through challenges. Watch your life and doctrine closely and progress in them is what verse 16 tells us. Then persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now we've said this before, but this bears repeating here. The word persevere implies that it's going to be what? Work. Like, Did anybody wake up today and say, I hope that I have things I need to persevere through today? You probably woke up feeling that way though. Body's hurting. Mind not cooperating. Distracted. Distressed. Worried. Afraid. Panicked. In some way. Right? In something... In some way, you and I are going to have to persevere in this day. And so the word implies that's exactly right. It's going to be work. Persevere means it's hard. Miss Penn coaches her cross-country runners in that way. You get that side stitch, you know what you got to do? You keep running. And it's going to hurt. You know you're having a hard time getting your breath. You know what you do? You just keep running. You might have to change your pace a little bit, but you don't stop. You don't quit. You're going to persevere. All right? Because it's not just about crossing a finish line in 1.86 miles. It's about developing people who persevere through the challenges and the opposition of life. Integrity is built as people like you and I persevere. And so there's going to be some things come my way and your way where we're just going to have to battle. And that's the flat out truth. We're just going to have to battle. You're going to have to fight. And I'm going to have to fight with you and for you. And you're going to have to fight with me and for me because it's going to be hard. Many of you have experienced a whole lot more on this planet than I have. And you could tell me, Corey, this is how I battled. And these are some ways that I lost the battle. These are some ways where I started blaming God if you're such a good God who works all things for good, why did this happen to me or my spouse or my family? That's a significant battle. 
right? You see the need that I have. Why have I lost my job? I've got people to provide for and I've got no ability to work. Like That's a significant battle. When you have a spouse who's no longer saying, I'm in this. I had the privilege of marrying a couple last night. In our first session with them, we talked about this. Marriage is a fight. And there's going to be days where you've got to fight for the other person because their want to is just not there. They're distracted. They're tired. They're weary from their job. They've got a lot on their shoulders. And you may feel like they've abandoned you. You've got to fight for that person. No, it's not right. No, it's not fair. God never promised it would be. You've got to persevere in that for that person. Sometimes we've got to fight for one another. Remember that movie, War Room? A wife who's married to a man who's showing her no attention, who's out living his life and making money and he's messing around with other women. What does she do? The wife. Well, initially she gets some good advice from a woman who had been through that. Right? Can't call her name right now. But she was the one that was going to walk out on her marriage. And her husband fought for her. And their marriage was restored. And she counseled this woman, you've got to go fight for your husband. No, he's not fighting for you right now. And yes, it's hard, but you've got to persevere here. And so she went to war. She created that little room in her closet where she went and begged and pleaded God to move and act in the life of her husband. And I know that's a movie, but that's also reality. If God can speak nothing into something, don't you think that He can change the lives of your family members? Oh no, they'll never believe. They're so hard-hearted. They've heard the truth and they just... If He can write on a wall, if He can talk through a donkey, He can get a hold of anybody at any time. So don't ever doubt that. You and I got to keep fighting. Some of you right now, I know you're fighting for your family members. Church, we need to fight with them. You know somebody who's got a family member who's not a believer, who's struggling? Tell them, I'm praying for you. And then pray for them. It's going to be hard. But your integrity is going to be developed as you and I persevere. Paul says in Romans that our character is built as we go through these hard times, as we persevere through them. We'd all love it if it was easy. Everybody would have character and integrity if it was easy. He says here you've got to persevere. There's going to be opposition. And so you've got a battle. 